All right, we are here for another installment of Behind the DM Screen. It is April, is that right? April? It is. All right, it's yes. finals week for me, so I'm, I'm busy like doing projects and papers and things. Uh, so it's April 2016, and we are here, three DMs, talking about our games, helping each other out. I'm Jeff Greiner, Mike Shea is here as always, but we have abandoned Sam Dillon. Uh, he had stuff. Uh, and instead, we have... Hi, David Gibson. Jester David. David Gibson. The Jester David from Twitter, um, but David otherwise. Or Dave? I prefer David. David, okay. I, I will answer to either. I'm not picky. What about David? No. Just no. <laughs> Just no. Okay. All right. Well, I will start the timer. I am up first, so I'll start the timer and get us going. Uh, last time we talked, I w- I'm in my... my post-apocalyptic um, fantasy Earth campaign where I am mashing up four different sort of mega campaigns, including um, uh, Out of the Abyss, The Rod of Seven Parts, and uh, what's the other one? Uh, the Elemental Evil one. Princes of the Apocalypse. Princes, yeah. Princes of the Apocalypse. Princes of the Apocalypse, and then uh, Freeport. The original Freeport trilogy is, is mixed in there as well. Uh, so last time we talked, they were searching for the uh, Dwarven Delegation after having worked through Red Larch and the other various uh, places. They got to the Sacred Stone Monastery. Um, Mike told me that they could almost certainly handle the Sacred Stone Monastery, even though they were going there first instead of working their way up to it, and it's supposed to be the hardest one. Uh, and Mike was largely right. They they trounced the monks in the top level fairly easily. Even like the big boss fight at the end was not a particularly difficult fight. What What level were they at the time? Uh, three or four? Oh, okay. So still, yeah, that's pretty. But I mean, the monks, they, they walked through. Um, that was not an issue. Um, when they went to the second level, when it's, you know, here's the Orogs and the, uh, what is it? The Ogre. Um, that was a bit of a tougher fight. Um, but other than that, there wasn't, I mean, there's not much else down there to threaten them. You, You know, you run into another monk or two here or there, maybe. Uh, but the big important part for that part of the story was they they got into the to the basement the the dungeon part of of Sacred Stone Monastery and they ran into the prisoners which was sort of where they were going to have intersecting storyline points you know they I had I introduced a little bit of Freeport when they first went in as they were scouting out the monastery they um, ran into some pirates who tried to run in and steal. Um, uh, actually did run in and steal a staff from the Lich, although most of them died in the process. Um, that plays into the Freeport um, storyline. They get to the basement. They free the prisoners, uh, one of which was from from the Dwarven delegation who tells them that two others uh, went below um, and that the, the fourth, because I added a fourth to the Dwarven delegation, that is Eldath from the Out of the Abyss storyline. She's one of the prisoners that you can... And she's you know, a heroine when I ran out of the abyss. Right. So, so she and she has uh, from the backgrounds that we did before play. She has some connections to a, a bunch of the characters, so they specifically know her, uh, and so they have a, a vested interest not only in, in saving the dwarven delegation but saving her specifically. So they found out that she was actually kidnapped earlier before the the dwarven delegation was was grabbed, uh, kidnapped by some drow who then grabbed her and, and drug her away. 
right? So that's how she ended up in Out of the Abyss and not with the rest of them in the, the Princess of the Apocalypse storyline. Uh, but one of the other prisoners in the Sacred Stone Monastery was Stool uh, from the Out of the Abyss storyline, right? The little mushroom guy, right? Uh, as well as Gabagool, which is the sentient um, uh, oh, gel- gelatinous he was a cube. Prisoner? They had a prisoner gelatinous cube? Yeah. Because <laughs> he basically oh. just hangs out with Stool. The, the, the story that I had infused there at that point was because they're third knocking on fourth level. Um, so I'm like, okay, well, this much of Out of the Abyss has already happened then. And they've already escaped. And Stool, and when Demogorgon appeared uh, in, the, in the big, what is it, Kotoa city? When Demogorgon appeared. up. Yeah, that one. I don't. I try not. To, I try not to pronounce. Um, Sloop Ladoff. <laughs> I try not to pronounce Quoto. I worked so hard to memorize it. I'm going to say it a lot. <laughs> I'm just happy I figured out how I, I want to say Grackle Stug. So <laughs> Sloop Ladop. Um. So Sloop Ladop. Uh. When Demogorgon appears there, basically in the chaos, they got separated, and Stool worked his way and found Gabagool himself, and they made their way up and ended up in the um, in the Earth Temple area, and they got captured. Right. Hmm. So then they were able to say, oh, you're looking for that dwarf lady. We know her. She's, you know, at this place. And they, are heading, they were heading in this direction before we got separated. Uh, and so now they're, they've gotten on a boat and they are going to head to that, in that direction uh, to a town that we've created that, for the setting called, I think it was Cliffport was the name of it. Although I remember, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, something like that. Um, which is a dwarven city, which I'd al- which had sort of rumors of having access to the Underdark, even at, at, at setting creation at the, before the game started. Uh, and so that, I'm like, oh, that'll work out well because, they, you know, rumored connections. Clearly, there actually is a connection. That's where they're trying to get out from. And so they're headed that way to try to get Eldath uh, because they couldn't go further down because I did the whole key thing where you can't just use the key that you found to go down deeper because then you need to be 10th level and you'll die. Right. I think right. that was your suggestion, Mike. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, you don't want <laughs> them to go down into the temples. I am, you know, the because the level range of the uh, haunted keeps, as they call them, although none of them are haunted. Right. Um, the level range of those is like four, five, six, and seven, and then the dungeon starts at like eight, nine, ten, eleven. Right. Right. So right. you know, so if they go from the fourth down yeah. below, they'll go like fourth to eighth. Right. So it's it's a bit of a jump and and would yeah. be would be an issue. So I, d- yeah. I did what you suggested in the last episode, which was you know have basically a magic system and you need more t- more than one key or or you need yeah. one of each of the it's keys or whatever. Convoluted. Yeah, yeah. So it's a yeah it's a little Deus Ex Machina or whatever, but yeah. um, but that worked out well and they futzed with it and they experimented with it and they figured some things out and that that's great and then they're like okay well we can't get down deeper right now we don't exactly know how to solve this puzzle uh but we know that Eldath is is trying to get to cliffport let's go north and start at cliffport and work our way down to try to find her mm-hmm. which then um in takes them out of the uh prince of the apocalypse into out of the abyss where they do this rescue mission but also intersects then with uh finding the second piece of the rod of seven parts which is in a cave system so i can just sort of stick it down there in the underdark and they could run into that there so I really like the way the the storylines are layering in, and I'm I'm yeah. every every single session I try to incorporate just a little hint or a little so hook to to yeah. another one. Yeah. They could you know, clearly there there's probably a stronger hook, right? We're in the middle of this story trying to find this dwarven right. delegation. We're probably not going to go off, but 
there's a little bit of Freeport. You, you always have a hint that they can go to the Yeah, they, there's always a hint that they could go somewhere else. I think it's making the world feel more more real, more alive. Like as they were headed north, I'm like, well, as you pass by, you see this, you know, in the distance, you see this spire up in the up in the hills and it's it's Feathergale Spire, right? And so they could go explore there and find something else. Giant birds flying around it. And the, yeah, they've they've actually already encountered the, the or seen in any way the flying birds uh, doing their mm-hmm. thing. Um, so that's going really well. Uh, I did end up completely well, I'm still layering in Freeport as a thing mm-hmm. and in the world and, and where things are happening. Um, but I don't actually expect them to, to follow that. So they've, they've got a story where their party is gathered together um, for, by a military organization, basically. They're, they're a semi-autonomous military group, mm-hmm. troubleshooting group, so to speak. Um, so based on the way the setting worked out, Freeport's actually a long ways away. And they're like, well, yeah, we could go down there, but we have things to deal with here and isn't dealing with stuff in our own country more important since that's our job. Mm-hmm. So they never had much incentive to go to Freeport. So when I had uh, a weekend where two of my five players couldn't make it and I only had a group of three, I'm like, well, rather than going into the Sacred Stone Monastery with only three people, mm-hmm. um, let's let's just make some new characters real quick and we'll go play the Freeport campaign. Hmm. So it's happening in the same world. So oh, that's little, cool. So yeah. they've got a whole separate set of characters in a different part they've of the same a, campaign. Exactly right. They got a, for, our, for a little side campaign, there's a whole separate set of characters hap- yeah. doing this Freeport stuff. Uh, and so all the Freeport stuff is still happening, and it's still connected to the larger storyline of this big sort of uh, chaos entity trying to escape. Yeah. Um, and so wow. it's, all, it's all still happening there, but it's, it's completely separate because I don't anticipate that they'll ever go down that way. And maybe they will, and then I'll have to figure out which, maybe, which yeah, group maybe saves some, the day. So. Some small butterfly effect goes on, right? Yeah, Where they absolutely. Do something over there, and then they see the results of it in another spot. I mean, my original plan was they they've basically been ignoring Freeport for so long, and for good reason. Um, that you know, when they eventually did get around to checking it out, I was just going to say, well, you know, they summoned a great old one, and it destroyed the city. <laughs> so now you've made it to the ruins of Freeport, right. uh, you yeah. know. But now I don't have to do that, right? And now there's something else going on, and three of the players kind of know what that what that is and what's happening. Yeah, that's cool. So yeah, it's worked out really well. I've been pleased. Um, and splitting off the Freeport thing that way, I don't know that I could have planned it that way, but it worked really well. Yeah. So. And if any characters die, they have backup PCs ready. Right, and that was part of our conversation as well. Like, you have other PCs in the world, so if something happens, um, there you go. Uh, having uh, Stool and Gabagool have officially joined the party as well. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure how to handle that because they want to find Eldath and the rest of the crew, and and specifically they've told Stool they would try to get him back home to the what is it, the Neverlight Grove. Yeah, right. That ain't and, that ain't close by. No, no. Well, and I, I'm. I mean, I've completely. I, mean, I guess changed. you can condense it, however. The you geography want. is all different, anyway, so I could put yeah. it closer if I wanted to. But yeah. oh, that's right over there. Yeah. Um, so six, they're, six feet under Featherspire. It may be <laughs> the, its location may be dependent on how long I want him to be in the party. <laughs> so yeah, um, he, he probably isn't. I mean, in in when I ran, sorry to interrupt. When yeah. I when I ran out of the abyss, he wasn't nearly that troublesome an NPC because half the time he would go into a backpack of somebody. Yeah, and so that's what I'm running into is that both of those NPCs are really slow. Yeah, so but but he's sort of portable and not problematic either as, a, as he wasn't so great an advantage for the PCs mm-hmm. that, that you know, like the problem is when you've got like a sentient gelatinous cube, you know, 
I don't even know what that does to normal campaigns. Oh, right? yeah, no, no. They great. would just use him as a trap in every single encounter they oh, you could. Know, you know what I did? Actually, here's what I did with Gavrigol. He wasn't in the, the prison with them because that wouldn't make a ton of sense, right? Yeah, right. Um, but they were trying to get the uh, the lich from the Sacred Stone Monastery yeah. to, to help them. And he basically said, well, I will totally help you if you – um, help me arrange to get my brother's body back, right? From uh, the the whatever the keep, yeah. That that was a little ways away. The summit keep, something like that. Summit hall, that's what it was. And so they went over and they're talking to the paladins, and and of course he told them some story about how how corrupt and horrible the paladins were. And then they get to the paladins, and they're actually kind of stand up people, um, and and whatever. Uh, and they're like, well, well, here's the deal. As a sign of good faith, if you do something for us, we will totally at least open talks with uh, – was it Renwick? Is that the lich's name? Yeah, something like yeah. that. It's been so long. So, so yeah, they're like, okay, well, at least open up talks if you, you know, do this thing for us, for us as a sign of good faith. Oh, what's the thing? Well, we have some weird specter haunting the, the catacombs. So we want you to go down and figure out what's going on. We, we kept sending our, our, our clerics and our paladins down there, and they would try to turn it, whatever, and, and, nothing, and it wouldn't turn, right? They couldn't figure it out. Well, that's because it was Gabagool, a gelatinous yeah. cube with a skeleton in it. Yeah, right. And so it looked like it Not was just undead. floating around, but it wasn't. Yeah, you know. and, and it would, like, cl- you know, close in on people, and then they would get burned. Right, right, right. Like, ah! So, so that's, that's cool. how they that's how they found Gabagool and, and, you know, they were getting ready to fight it, and then Stool's like, oh, no, wait, that's my friend, you know? So, yeah. Uh, and so now, now Gabagool's with him, and that's where the the um, sort of the science fantasy, the post apocalyptic fantasy, sort of comes in a little bit. Uh, back in Red Large, they met one of the few people in the world who's figured out how just the right way to take existing plastic and melt it down and remold it. Hmm. And he's making like carts and, and wheelbarrows and things with it. Uh, and so they're like, "Hey, we can't figure out how to transport Gabagool in our ship because it'll just you know destroy whatever." hull it's sitting on right it'll it'll mm-hmm. slowly just eat away a hole in the bottom of the ship because it's wood uh, and so they've they've basically purchased a big uh plastic sled that gabagool gets to go on and if they need him in a wagon they they make turn it into a ramp and they get him up in the wagon and they they want him in the boat it's like okay you have to stay here you can't move <laughs> but you're safe here on the plastic so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that worked out pretty well too it's all going pretty well uh if anything we, the only issues we've really had so far is um having to reschedule and cancel and, and some of that's just because I'm a doctoral student yeah, uh, right. and, and, you know, things come up, you know, Life. It's, it, yeah. it's finals week and I had a, a conference I had to go to last weekend and I was supposed to have a game and I thought the conference was the next weekend and then it turned out like the last minute it wasn't. So I had to, to reschedule the game real quick and you know, that kind of stuff. So, right. So this, yeah, it's just life stuff. Um, but, I, but we're supposed to play again on Saturday and I've had no time to prep, but, uh, I'm I'm hopeful it'll go well. We're gonna start doing some underdog stuff. I need to I need to relook at uh, Out of the Abyss. I need to and I and I need to relook at. Um, yeah, that's gonna be a little tough, right? Because so you have like four source books you have to Rodicef. reference. Yeah, so I just sort of keep those four books on uh, on on hand all yeah. the time. Um, I yeah, and I have to kind of figure out. Okay, so Out of the Abyss has become a rescue mission, like. Mm-hmm. As opposed to an escape mission in that mm-hmm. first half, right? So I have to figure out how to make that work, and what do I it's do with change, right? what do I do with them as they're going down into the abyss or into the underdark, right? Before they run into them, and then I can just sort of follow. Okay, you run into them, and it happens to be that you meet up in Neverlight Grove or whatever it is, right? Some halfway point, and then the, then it's a matter of getting them out. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I got to figure out what what to do with them there. I don't know if are there. You've run out of the abyss. Have yep. David? I ran you, the first half. Yeah. Okay, Dave, have I've you run it. it? What's that? I've read it, but I haven't. You've read it. it. Okay, so I'm trying to figure out like what pieces of out of the abyss could I take out and just move to an encounter that happens for them on the way down, sort of thing, to you give know, them to them give are... them hints of the demon lords and what's going on. They're still level like three, four, five. They will be four. Yeah, I mean, my my experience, the first chapter and like the seventh chapter are the only ones where the whole being chased by the drow matters at all. And yeah, and I'm not super worried about the being chased by the drow, but I want to give him a hint of the larger sort of demon yeah, lore. Yeah, but the rest of right. So, so I think you can use almost any of the other chapters as their own thing. You know, if your goal is, you know, yeah, if your if your goal is to kind of show them the the corruption of the underdark by way of the demonic presence. You know mm-hmm. the the presence of the demon lords. Then mm-hmm. any of the chapters, you know, Never Like Grove has that with Zugtamoy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Sloopladop has it with uh, Demogorgon. But Sloopladop's already happened. That? Yeah, you already did that one. That one's awesome. That was my that was one of my favorite parts. Um, Gracklestug doesn't have a whole lot because it, you know there's no demon lord that's in Gracklestug screwing with stuff. But there's a lot of fun you can have in Gracklestug anyway. And that's the one, well, that's the Pudding King one, right? No, that, uh, that's that's uh, Blingdon Stone. Blingdon isn't Stone. Uh, isn't yeah, so one of the demon lords in a stone in Gracklesslug? Is it? Uh, there's there is a stone. I Where's Fraz or, or Blue? He's in a, he's in the gym, right? Yeah, I think that's Gracklesslug. Okay, that'd be kind of a different feel to the the corruption. Mm-hmm. Is the stone? You could you, you know, could okay, use that so stone I'm, in different yeah. ways. Wow, I just totally missed that. Then I had the stone, and I remember seeing it, but I like I could never find what the hell that stone was. That was the one that they're, you know, the little crazy dude is trying to run around with a. He's got a piece of it. Yeah, that's Frazer or Blue. I didn't know that was Frazer Blue. Yeah, yeah. Whoops, <laughs> and it's, well, it's, it's a demon lord in the. Instead, okay. I said it was a giant, a giant monument to Orcus, <laughs> um, which worked out because in mine uh, they they fought Orcus. Okay, which I'll talk about on my turn. Speaking you know, uh, speaking of Gracklestug, by the way, how would you pronounce it? Had I have not said Gracklestug. I, I, I've pronounced it Gracklestug. And I think they have a pronunciation, pronoun, pronunciation key in the book. How do you pronounce it, Dave? David? I would have gone uh, Gracklestug. Stug? Okay. I've been, I've been listening to uh, audiobooks, uh, the, the War of the Spider Queen series with my son, which is sometimes tricky, but um, they, it, they go to Gracklestug at one point, and I, I swear the author pronounced it Gracklestug. And I'm like, how do you turn S-T-U-G-H into stew? No, anyway. Like you, like you, Lori. Yeah, I guess like you. So, so Grackle Stug would give them the opportunity to run into Fraz Urblue. Yeah, I want to. I want to. I, wanna, I, I, I think I wanted them to meet at Neverlight with Eldath. Um. Yeah, and that one's that one's some that's got some cool in it. Um, and then Blingdon Stone is, the is fine. Thing. So uh, any of those are fine. You know, and, and you can literally you could probably drop any of those in on their own. Like the the interconnections between them are really loose anyway. Yeah. It, what what demon lord is caught up in Blingdenstone? Uh, that one is Ju- Jubilex. Yeah, oh, Jubilex. Yeah. The Pudding King. Which is, the Pudding King too. is tied to Jubilex. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Neverlight is the the fungus one. Uh, yeah. Zugmoy. 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 Almost got it. Which has a weird connection to Princes of the Apocalypse, right? Does it? Uh, the original Temple of Elemental Evil, the big yeah, bad, right. the big bad was actually Zugmoy, right? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, that'd be interesting to bring back. If you're gonna do anything, uh, Never Like Grove would probably be the best one, just because Zugmoy is she's really the the villain, the big bad about the abyss. Well, and that's the the her whole 
fetid wedding. Yeah, well, and, and I, I realized reading it and reviewing it that you could completely cut the fetid wedding thing out and it doesn't change the story at all. A lot of it's But like it's kind of cool, you know, yeah. so... It's, it almost, that almost feels like the climax if you're not doing the, the fight against the Demon Lords. So I'm tempted to do like a... So I've got Gracklestug, Blingdenstone, and Neverlight. I'm tempted to have the end point where they meet up with Eldath and the rest of the escapees to be Neverlight. Because uh, they have a, a compass to get there, right? They've yeah. got, they got stool with them. Uh, and then maybe have them run run through either Gracklestug or Blingdenstone. And then on the way out, go through the other one. And then I can get three locations in. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I would, I would, uh, yeah, depending on how you kind of shape things and, and sort of what decisions mm-hmm. they make, I might leave it open to them to figure out which ones they want to go to. That's true, that's true. The order, the order for those matters, in my opinion, less than the order for um, the elemental, the, the prince's places. Okay, yes, and that's they're true, not, yeah. They're not really, really built around any particular level. My group went and mixed it all up. Yeah, and and it was really easy for me to tune to tune the fights around it. And of some course, of the fights were so ridiculous. Anyway. Of course, how I let them make that choice is tricky because it's the Underdark, and they didn't. It was only a rumor that there was even a connection to the Underdark, let alone sure. Yeah, so they're not like going to find a map. With, yeah, yeah. So okay, yep. I think I got some ideas. All right, cool. And I'm way over time, so I will stop talking, and it'll be Mike's turn. Ready? Ready? Yeah. Sure. All right, go. go. All right, so one one cool battle. So I ran. I have two that I want to talk about tonight. Uh, one I want to talk about my conclusion to Out of the Abyss, which was the final. You know, we we stopped halfway through. We stopped basically when they left and went to um, uh, uh, what's it, the Dwarven City, uh, Gontogrim, and met with Brunor. Uh, spoilers, by the way. So, um, <laughs> uh, and I want to talk about Death House. I'm running Death House now, okay. uh, and I'm and I'm going to run it again on Sunday. So uh, I changed the conclusion significantly because I knew that we were ending the campaign uh, halfway through. Our group was around level nine at the time. And um, they had one – so, so they did Blingdenstone and then they were on their way out. And I, I pretty much made up the entire last part as soon as they left Blingdenstone. The one cool part of Blingdenstone is there's a whole – the Pudding King is putting together this giant, you know, giant army of oozes and stuff. And the army's invading, and rather than kind of either ignoring it or figuring out a way around it, my group decided they wanted to fight the army of oozes. And <laughs> they fought, I think we calculated it out at like 150 oozes, puddings, slimes, jellies, and, and, um, and gelatinous cubes at once in one fight. And uh, they did it by carving out a giant like lake, an empty lake right in the door that they were going to come through. So when they poured through, they just poured into this giant soup of oozes and then proceeded to just drop fireball after fireball on top of it. And uh, at one point hit it with a firestorm and the firestorm did a thousand points of damage uh, calculated out across all of the oozes, putting slimes and jellies that it could hit. Um, so the, the, like the, the trigonometry required to figure out how much damage was occurring <laughs> was a little difficult. And I, and I kind of played it out. Like I didn't want to just hand wave it. I could have easily hand waved it, but I was like, I want them to feel like they actually did this right. You know? So it was all this kind of crazy math to figure out like what percentage of oozes, slimes, jellies, and molds are you hitting at any given time, depending on any fireball you're, you're throwing in there. Um, so they, I think that got annoying at one point. Um, yeah, it sounds like they, it turned into a bit of a grind eventually, right? Well, it, it, you know, so I think it got a little grindy, and I tried to speed it along, but you know, they were doing this awesome fight, so they were all pretty excited about, it and they all they all remembered it. Um, 
So after that, I, I, I basically had it that the, the gnomes gave them a key and a map to a hidden door that's been buried for, you know, tens of thousands of years. That's a, a gateway to Gauntlegrim, you know, a gate that would take them close to the chambers of Gauntlegrim mm-hmm. that the Delzune dwarves had used 10,000 years ago to get around in the Underdark. And it's been sealed off not only from um, uh, physical access, but also from any kind of scrying or psionics. Or any type of scrying. Nobody could nobody knew where it was. But the but the Blingdenstone deep gnomes knew. So they got the key, they go there, they open it up and they find this ancient Delzune dwarven vault. And they're walking around there and they are seeing that the Delzune uh had been in a big fight with mind flayers and, and in the fight with mind flayers, um basically it was dwarf dwarf fighting dwarf. It was dwarf fighting dwarf thralls. And they, you know, through investigation and stuff like that, found out, like, the, obviously there's one group of dwarves that was fighting, like, you know, crazy people, and then one group that was fighting, like, good solid shield dwarves. And, and, but it was all ancient, you know, it was all like a 10,000-year-old fight. But there's all these sort of scrawls on the wall. So they go into this big chamber, and they see the gate ahead of them, and they, uh, they, there's all these glyphs and sigils, but they can't figure them out because there's crazy-ass math involved in the sigils. But they happened to ha- uh, have picked up through some random circumstance a, a, a Modron that had been a party companion of theirs. Mm-hmm. And the Modron's like, oh, I can figure this out. This is easy, right? It can do, you know, polynomial math. So it, it goes over and it's working on the, the math. In the meantime, because they opened up the chamber, it is now available to scrying. And the drow immediately said, oh, we know where they are. You know, we found them. So two different groups of dwarves or drow show up. The first one is the Mizrim drow that they had escaped from. But another group of uh, Barrison Delarmgo drow also mm-hmm. showed up who claimed to be aiding the Mizrim drow. And they were there because the party had members who pretended to be Barrison Del Armgo drow when they were in Gracklestug. So they look and they're like, okay, here's this group of drow that we think we can fight and, and it seems solid. And then we look up there and we see like a bunch of mages and a bunch of clerics and a bunch of kick-ass drow fighters up there that are all Barrison Del Armgo guys. Oh, you know, this is going to be bad. But one, one problem at a time, let's fight the Mizrim drow. So they got in a big fight with the Mizrim drow uh, they did very well. Like the the matron mother or the the the, the head priestess that had originally captured them. Um, what did they hit her with? Oh, they hit her with a uh, uh, divine. Uh, what's the divine word? Is it divine word? The one that like stuns them for Holy an word? hour. Uh, it might be divine it, word. I yeah. think it's like a ninth level spell. So they had a, a single oh. item that had one charge of it. It's the one that Tiamat can do. Um, they had one charge and it hit her with it, and it just immediately you know drove her insane. Right. Like she just fell to the ground screaming. And so that knocked out the boss in one shot. Right. And then they fought all the other drow and beat him. And then the um, the Barris and Delarmgo drow are kind of looking and they're like, well, you know, we can't let you just beat drow. You know, like, thank you for getting rid of the Mizrims. They were a bunch of dorks anyway. We don't really care, but we can't exactly let you escape either. So you're going to have to come with us. or We're going to have to kill you. And then behind them, two mind flayers show up. And the Mind Flayers uh, begin this ritual where they open up a huge psionic gate. So a gate that's not magical at all. And behind it, they see a, um, the, the, the corrupted undead brain that Orcus has, has changed over. Which you, know, you know about because you play the game? 
Yeah, I, I, I only heard about it, but I was like, hey, that sounds cool. Okay, so you made it up. I mean, Well, no, I didn't make it up. I mean, there's that great picture of Orcus with a giant undead brain. Yeah, but that's so, all we've seen, really. Is just, that's all we've seen, art, and, that's, right? and that's fine with me. Right? Okay, that's yeah. all I needed. Failed so, novel or something. What's that? I think it's, I think in, I think it's in, the, in one of the I think it's in the Nevermore MMO, yeah. yeah. So, um, but I said Orcus is great, and I have this awesome Orcus mini that I can't, you know, I have to use every opportunity I can get. <laughs> um, so Orcus shows up, right? And and he's and then the Drow are like, "Oh my god!" So at that point, I handed each of the players a a monster card with one of the Drow on it, and I said, "You guys now control those Drow, and you can play them however you want." You know, because Orcus showed up, so all bets are off, no matter what. So you can play them as Drow against Drow. You can play them as Drow against you. You can play them as Drow against Orcus. You can play them however you how you role play them however you you feel. And meanwhile, Orcus starts throwing out the power word kills, right? <laughs> and they're randomly selected power word kills. He gets like, I think, three of them, you know, with the charges on his wand. And it's just, and they're like, you know, they kept waiting for it to turn into an illusion or waited for something else. And I'm like, no, it's Orcus. Like, you got to figure this out. You know, you don't have to kill him, but he's here. And, um, and I had like, I, I, I left lots of different things. Like, A, there's like 14 different NPCs that Orcus is fighting at one time. And all of them are, are at least like CR5 and above. And, and there's the gate that they only have to last three rounds until that gate is open. Um, you know, and there, there was lots of ways for them to, to, to kind of manipulate this situation to not just get stomped by Orcus. Um, but Orcus is powered killing people. And I had him start off by power, only powered killing the drow mm-hmm. just to not be a, a dick. And because um, everybody was less than 100 hit points. So one power word kill just automatically kills anything he, he hits. And um, so he knocks out a drow. He knocks out another. And, and the party's like, we're going after him. So they just start piling on him. And they're attacking him on all sorts of stuff. And he's using uh, you know, his legendary actions to hit people with his tail and to do other nasty stuff. But meanwhile, he's just relentlessly power word killing. And finally, he hits one of the PCs. And power word kills the PC. And then that guy, so his, his character dies, and he dies, like, on the far side of the room. And then uh, he power, he then, so Orcus rolls again, and he rolled the same player again. And this time hit the drow that he was controlling. Oh, jeez. Yeah, so the guy lost a drow. And then, uh, so now he, he's like, well, I still have my familiar. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, like, it's familiar, and it's familiar's. Her familiar drops a fireball on Orcus's head, which was sadly anticlimactic because Orcus is not only uh, resistant to magic, he's also re- resistant to fire. Right. So, you know, he took seven points of damage on a, you know, whatever, 24-point fireball. And um, Not that 24 points was is much of a difference yeah, it for still Orcus. Bit, but yeah, they were shelling out damage. So, I mean, the drow were hitting him with, like, disintegrates and, and, you know, holy words and all kinds of big spells doing 70, 80 points of damage. Mm-hmm. And so they look at him, and, and I said, like, okay, he's, he's you know, he's, he's bloodied equivalent, right? Like, you, you've definitely heard Orcus. And, and the gate is open. And, like, one of the PCs, like, runs through the gate. Oh, and the, the, the funny bit was there's two dr- uh, dwarves on the other side that have been guarding this gate. And it's like the sh- uh, can I swear? Is swearing okay? Uh, whatever. It's the crappy, <laughs> you know, the crappy drab in Gauntlegrim is guarding this gate that hasn't been open for 10,000 years, right? So it's like these two you know dwarves hanging out there and they turn around and immediately get hit with the um madness effect sure right and one of them goes crazy (laughs) and just falls over and the other one's like oh my god it's orcus right and he's like forgetting about everything else with like seeing this demon prince on the other side so one of the pcs runs right through but then realizes well my rest of my group is staying there so i'll go back out and take care of it um so they ended up killing orcus 
They knocked him out. They did 400-some damage to him. At, and at him. ninth level? Yeah. At, at ninth level with, again, an army of NPCs. An army of NPCs, yeah. Yes, and, and NPCs were, were all pretty, like, you know, they were casting six-level spells. Um, but they, they got through. They met Brunor, all, you know, and Brunor says, okay, well, we got a problem. You know, congratulations, you're out and you're free, and you're free to do whatever you want. You go back and, to the surface. And you just killed Orcus. Yeah, and congratulations on killing Orcus. Although my guys were crazy, so I don't know if they actually did that or not. But um, you know, but if ever there was anybody that could go back down there and help solve whatever this problem is, it sounds like it would be you guys. So how would you like to go back in? And they're like, "Yep, we're going back in." And that's right. Ended the campaign was them turning right around and going right back into the place they've been trying to escape for all this time. So. And so, and so, by the end of your campaign, for all we know, you know, the demon lords are still running around in the Underdark. Yeah. Yeah, well, they know they are, right? That, they all, that, that's they always, just the new status quo in the world for you now. <laughs> the, yeah, that's yeah. where demon lords well, are. In that, in that little slice of the world. Yeah. So that was that was a very, you know, I thought it was a lot of fun. They they enjoyed it. It was a great big three-wave fight with all sorts of stuff. They used everything at their disposal. They actually got to beat Orcus. The one, oh, I, I, meant, I forgot to mention that the guy's familiar who dropped the fireball immediately got hit by Orcus's tail and killed. So the dude <laughs> lost three characters. You know, <laughs> that he did, did, did he get to play anymore the rest of the night, or was he just? Well, that, I mean, watching? that was the end of the game. Oh, okay. the rest, they, you know, they. I think it was one more round before Orcus was dead, and they dragged his body off and resurrected him. So, wasn't a problem. Um, so now I've started running um, Death House, and uh, I really, I really love this adventure. Um, I, you know, the idea that this is a free adventure is is just great. It's really well put together. It's a, it's a lot of fun. It's nice and focused. It's really kind of, you know, in my opinion, nails nails the kind of thing it's trying to nail, which is the exploration through the haunted house. Is is Death House the the intro the, intro into into Curse of Strahd? Yeah. Yeah. So the way I've started my campaign and the way I think I'm going to start my Sunday one as well is I like I kind of like the traditional um, Ravenloft introduction of you're at the bar, the um, Vistani shows up with a note. The note says, hey, please come help us. By the way, spoilers for Ravenloft if you're listening. Um <laughs> Yeah, which, please. We'll, which we will be reviewing shortly. Yeah, so please, please, uh, um, you know, please come and help our land. My daughter's been, you know, hit by this affliction, a great monster, blah, 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 blah. You got to come in here and help. And, and then the guy drops off a big pile of gold and takes off. And the party, of course, says, yeah, let's go. Let's go help. And then they go through and then they're stuck in Barovia. Right. And they immediately find a note covered in blood from another messenger that says, you know, whatever you do, don't show up in Barovia. This place is cursed forever. Just seal it off and never come back. Right. And they're like, well, I guess that was a really bad move on our part. Um, so, you know, the, 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 I guess both the problem and the opportunity for Ravenloft is it's filled with idiot plots. But if, if, the, P, if the players kind of recognize that and they're not like, no, screw that. We're not going there. That's totally a trap. Right. Um, if oh. they play it out kind of the way it's written, it could be a lot of fun for everybody. The, you know, the alternative is... Um, that you know they 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 don't follow the idiot plot and and my 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 little running gag because the group I'm playing Death House for now we had talked about running out of the abyss for them uh, and decided against it and I said well you know if they don't go into Barovia a bunch of Drow are going to come and capture their ass and drag them down into you know the Underdark so I, I wanted to have this kind of funny scene where they go through the the gates of Barovia and the mist shows up and a bunch of Drow show up and go oh crap we missed them. <laughs> you know, they were right ready to kidnap them all and take them down to the Underdark. And that would have started the other campaign. Um, Death House also sort of has that idiot plot sort of idea. Like, why would you go in there and, oh, crap, now we're stuck there. 
which I don't think is actually in the adventure. The idea that they're stuck there is mm. something I added because the problem is if you leave, you may never want to come back. Well, and ultimately, part of part of the the issue with resisting the idiot plot all the time, as you as you call it, um, is that you can't really accomplish your goals if you don't eventually. Like, yeah, like well, clearly, mean, the right. invitation to Castle Ravenloft is a trap. Yeah. And clearly there's no way you can go there and it's going to turn out good for you. But you also can't accomplish for anything if you don't eventually yeah. go. You know, right. so. right. What do you think? Yeah, like it doesn't mean you can't succeed. Yeah. Um, but it's a little, you know, it's, you, you definitely got to play it like it's 1982. You know, if you, <laughs> if you play it with all of the experience we've gained over the past 30 years of running D&D, you know, it's going to be very different. Um, so Death House is fun. It's a, it's a big house, you know, big sort of townhousey place with a lot of rooms to explore and that can get tedious. Can I take another minute? Yeah. yeah. Be... I um, you know, it's kind of a big T, te- you know, a lot of rooms to explore and a lot of things that go on and, and the creepy stuff doesn't really start to happen until they get to the top of the house. And, uh, what I was, I, I was really enjoying running it. I'm, you know, I'm having a ball kind of, a- I'm adding a lot of creepy factors to it. You know, the guy, one of the players decides he wants to play the harp that's inside the music room and all of these little statuettes that are sitting on the mantle start to dance with one another. Mm-hmm. But as they're dancing, it's clear that they're not human. They're little skeletons that are dancing, mm-hmm. you know, or I always, I love throwing like, you know, and the, and again, my players are just awesome at saying things like, I want to look under the bed. You know, <laughs> and and I, I'm like, you look under the bed and for a moment, there's a skeletal hand that grabs your throat. And then you realize it was just in your imagination. Everything's fine. <laughs> um, one of the more interesting bits is one of our players wasn't at the first session. And we were talking online about how to introduce his character. And I went with the, well, you could just pretend you were always there. That's always easy and no one really cares. Uh, or you could be we could do like a formal sort of entrance of your character, i.e. you were part of a group that went to the death house. And everyone was killed but you, and you've been trapped and are being devoured by the house slowly over months. And, and you know, they'll find you and, and you'll be sort of, you know, vomited out from the wall of the house, Poltergeist style. Mm-hmm. And uh, Poltergeist, by the way, is a great movie to get, you know, to, to, to get your death house uh, chops up. Groove going. Yeah, yeah right. Um, so they did like where the, you know, they, the, the part of the wall broke through and there's a sort of organic nastiness on the other side with tendrils made out of muscle and, and bone. And, you know, they, they kind of pulled him free and then they had to fight the, the, the muscle bone monster. And, um, you know, it had this big yellow eye. And when one of the guys looked into the eye, he had to make a madness check and failed and, you know, fell on immediately fell unconscious. <laughs> so the madness is a great effect. I loved it now to the abyss. And since this group hasn't played out of the abyss, I'm using it a lot. Um, are you using the same madness? Yeah, yeah, okay. the same madness rules, which, you know, essentially making charisma saving throws or, or you get affected. The only difference is the, in the book, the madness effects are long. Like it's one, one to ten minutes for the effect. And, um, and I have it where it, will, it could last that long, but somebody can wake you up or you can wake up with a saving throw at the end of a round. So that way it's not, you know, you're not totally out of a battle. Um, so the, my, my group just made it through to the top floor and that's when things start to get really kind of interesting and creepy you know they found the um the maid the the maid servant lady who had a stillborn baby uh from the master of the house and all the like the creepiness there with the crib that's got this black veil on it and this bundle that's sitting in there you know really neat sort of fun stuff um but what i worry about with it is that it it, it can sort of get this like room by room exploring tedious sort of hey look you know a bedroom with stuff and Maybe something will jump out of the closet. Maybe not. Um, 
So that that's a hard that's a hard thing for me to manage because I'm having so much fun. It might be one of the few times where I feel like I'm having a lot of fun running it, but my players aren't enjoying it as much as I am. Hmm. Usually, we're all in sync. Now, are you planning on taking Death House then and, and using it like, like intended as, as an introduction, and then they'll be in Barovia yeah. so, and, and go well, through the rest of that campaign? Yes. Yeah, so for this for this group, they they I had the traditional Ravenloft introduction, which is in Curse of Strahd. It's one of the options. Right. And then they went straight to Barovia, and the first thing they saw were the two kids standing on the road saying, "Hey, you have to help us. There's a monster in our house, and our our brothers at the top. You know, our brothers stuck in there, and you right. have to go help." And again, it's another idiot plot. Like, you know, I think one of the players is like, oh, I'm killing those kids right away. There was definitely yeah. not. Those, those kids are not right. You know? <laughs> but they did the right, you know, they did, the, they did the right thing as in the right thing to keep the adventure moving forward, which is, okay, we'll go into the stupid house. Well, and I would argue that, that killing children on a hunch is generally not the right, <laughs> right thing anyway. <laughs> Stick it up to be like, sorry, kids, your own problem. It may be the right thing in game and terms, but, like you know. One, yeah, it's like one solid perception check from recognizing the fact that these kids are not right. right. You know? so, question yeah. here. Um, how do yeah. you handle inspiration in your game? Do you use it a lot? Or? Yeah, and I, I, I probably violate the rules of inspiration heavily. I, oh. will, I will do it for favors. Um, I, I use I use inspiration for a lot of different things. So like whoever wants to run initiative for the night gets inspiration to start. Um, Whatever works for you. Yeah, just yeah, well, yeah, following right. the the idiot plot. Whenever you you do anything that uh, yeah, the, right. the idiot a, plot would, that's the perfect and inspiration. I, and I used I used it for that definitely. Although some you know I think there was probably some favoritism on my part where certain players who were less likely to do the dumb thing but then did it got inspiration <laughs> before the player who would always do the dumb thing. You know. Mm-hmm. Like always plays that way, and he's like, "What? I looked in like everything I wasn't supposed to look, <laughs> you know? And how come I don't get inspiration? He does one right. thing. I'm like, because he never does it, you know. And so, in actuality, that that character, that player is actually playing their character, you know, in terms of role playing better, right? Yeah, better. He should always have inspiration, right? Right. right. But and there's just great little funny stuff like my, my wife's character. You know, there's this uh, fun. Uh, you know, Downton Abbey style um, bell system where the servants' quarters has bells that ring when you tug on a, you know, a silken cord up in the master bedroom. And, you know, like, you know, all the players are sitting around kind of doing, you know, all the PCs are doing their thing in the bedroom and all of a sudden they hear the time, the, the chime of tiny bells from down below and all, the, all of them are like, uh-oh, like what? And they look over and my wife's character, who's this big northern barbarian, is like slowly tugging on the silken cord, <laughs> right, freaking him out. So it just feels like, you know, yeah, it feels like a campy horror movie where everybody's sort of aware. It it's got a little bit of uh, um, what's the movie? Uh, oh, that awesome Joss Whedon horror movie, Cabin, cabin in, the in the Woods. It's got a, it's got a, it's got definitely got a little bit of a Cabin in the Woods feel. See, I was thinking uh, Evil Dead. Yeah, not, not yeah. Joss Whedon, but sort of the campy, yeah, yeah. same, same self, sort of self-aware, self-aware, yeah, yeah, self-aware, and that's that's the way they're playing it. And I think everyone's having a good time. One other last thing is I have done this so far completely theater of the mind. I haven't used a single, mm-hmm. you know, we laughed because the guy spent a lot of time picking out his mini, and then it just sat there in front of him all night, mm-hmm. you know. But that seems to be the way to run one where you have like forty-six rooms. Yeah, you know, it's a lot easier to uh to just kind of describe the rooms and yeah i can't imagine trying to do uh you know the the the, some, the, some, the amber temple let alone uh castle yeah. ravenloft you know and and draw it all out yeah i've seen people who took yeah ravenloft god help you but um i've seen people who built like scale models of the death house and you know room by room with like floors that they they set out and that's certainly a way to do it i i you know 
the reason I didn't do that is I feel like I can get into a lot more of the sort of the descriptive psychological horror stuff if people aren't worried about right. what square they're standing in. Yeah, I think so. Um, and also the the house is tiny. Like, you know, I laugh because it's like if there's six PCs, only four of them can fit in any one room. Mm. You know, and two people are stuck out in the hall wondering what's going on in there. So good times. Yeah. Sorry for going cool. on. Yeah, no. All right, David, your turn. Ready? Go. Yep. All right, so I'm not. I'm currently preparing to run a Madness at Gardmar Abbey, uh, converting it to fifth edition form, fourth okay. edition. And I know at least one. And I believe Jeff has written that. Yeah, I think we, have, we both have, haven't we? Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. So I'm I'm here to pick your mind, your minds about uh, mm-hmm. Gardmar and what works, what didn't work, and what I should be aware of. I so reach I, back in my memory. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 I pulled a bunch of a conversion of it off of um, Reddit. This Reddit D and D has a quite a big community. It's mm-hmm. by some guy named uh, Silver. So shout out to Silver if he listens. <laughs> and so I pulled all the cards, and I'm, I'm I'm converting all the monsters, and the encounters, and that's all fairly easily. And I'm just gonna, you know, it's, that, do you yeah. have any advice off the top? So, so uh, Madness was the one that has the deck of many things, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, the deck of many things cards. So I yeah. got all those pulled out. And uh, Podrig, yeah. the mayor of Winterhaven, is the secret collector of the cards. Yeah, okay. okay. And um, I, it's the only thing I remember is I think I had a lot of fun with the NPCs. There was a um, a paladin, like an old paladin, that's one of the NPCs. And, and I, I, God, it's Sir so, Oakley. It's yeah. yeah, Sir Oakley. <laughs> and having him sort of you know doing his thing while the PCs were doing theirs was, was kind of a, a, a fun thing. They were always sort of running into him. So um, did you have him as companion character? They're just as kind of a reoccurring NPC. I had him as a reoccurring NPC. I tend to not like companion characters. And I had him more of a as a patron. Um, you know, so he was he was a, a divvying out some of their tasks and whatever, right? He had specific things in the Abbey that he wanted to accomplish. Um and so he was key to yeah, he was key to my storyline as well. Then there was a um there's the NPC party. Is there an, yeah, there's an NPC party yes. that's built into that, right? Yeah, so the, that, the- rival adventurers yeah yeah so so that and that becomes um it almost becomes a bit of a cleanup like when you're getting to a point where the campaign should probably start wrapping up and they haven't quite gathered up all of the cards yet but you don't want to just drag it on for the sake of dragging it on mm-hmm. it's a hey then you run into the npcs and they've gathered up all the other things <laughs> they have all you the know? Other uh, but in my in my uh, game, uh, the when they ran into the rival adventuring party, the rival adventuring party actually won and took off with the the deck. So. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember you talking about that. Yeah, well, that was the we that, talked about it here. Yeah, yeah that was that was my last ever fourth edition game, and the and the, and the whole thing was um, basically the story was that happened, and as a result of the actions that stemmed from that, the the whole the the. The foundation of reality became very flexible and shifting a lot, and that's when we entered our um, Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil right. um, playtest game, and we and, and I justified the constantly shifting rules by saying, "Well, the, the world is in a constant state of flux because of the infusion of chaos that came from having lost the deck of many things." Right, because everyone died. God, I, I remember so little of it. It has been so long <laughs> since I played it. So obviously, it's a very memorable adventure. No, I it was rem- good. No, I, I mean, we, I remember, I remember loving it. Yeah, I can remember. I remember the players pieces. loved it. So uh, the one thing I'm concerned about is the the cards because every encounter you're meant to throw out a card. Yeah. Which I don't think it's going to work because I'm going to be using theater of the mind as much. So having a token doesn't seem as useful. 
when you're oh because there's this yeah there's the whole thing where they have their the the card is out there on the on the board and you're trying to to grab it or utilize the the power that comes from standing in that square or whatever right yeah which is which is great in uh, fourth edition where encounters run a little bit Mm -hmm. longer whereas fifth edition when they're so lightning fast i can't imagine the the cards coming up nearly as often It's, it's there and then it's over well, yes, I, I don't have a. Um, I don't think I have a good list. I actually thought about putting together a list like this for uh, Curse of Strahd, of um, instead of having effects that are tactically, you know, tactically uh, placed, having basically a single effect that takes place over the entire encounter, uh, that's slightly less subtle, you know, slightly more subtle than mm. than. You know something, but you could say like you know if you drew and I'm making I don't even know what the cards are, but you know, a fire some fire based card meant that anybody yeah the sun right if anybody puts the sun down everybody does an extra one d six radiant damage with any magical attack you know and and that way it could be either good guys or bad guys have this effect but it mm-hmm. kind of adds this sort of you know strange you know strange envi- oh, you know zone wide effect. Uh, that's going on, regardless of the fact that it's theater of the mind. Like it'll, it can still have the same effect inside theater of the mind. Yeah, and you could, I mean, you could keep it relatively similar. You could create the zone-like effect that that is described in the original fourth edition. But instead of saying it's in this square, you could very easily sort of just say, "Oh, it's it's kind of over by that pillar." And if they if they want to move into it, then they explain, "Well, I want to go into that zone." And yeah, right. Advantage. They can you know. describe that they go there. Yeah, and, I mean, and they, it could be like a king of the hill situation where like they have to knock the other guy out, you yeah. know, so so they don't get the power. Um, yeah, thirteenth yeah, age had that same issue. Like you know, if you if you're using sort of close, you know, close and far away or adjacent. Mm-hmm. Uh, in theater of the mind, which you you kind of have to do just for things like sneak attack and 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 uh, opportunity attacks, mm-hmm. um, you could still say, well, this guy is adjacent to the card, so he's getting the power, you know, and it doesn't really matter to squares. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is the one that had uh, even out below the abbey, right? There's this whole village of like you're gonna have to fight your way in every single time you go to the <laughs> go to the abbey sort of thing right the various orcs yeah yeah the the whole orc thing yeah and that's actually how i got them into the adventure that was my hook was that the orcs were raiding the area or whatever and they went to investigate that and discovered all this other stuff going on um it was pretty crucial for my group that they discovered the secret stair yeah so right. that Arthur, so that it Arthur didn't become a slog it. of fighting through the orcs every time they went to the abbey right, right. yeah the other let's see the other thing I'm thinking of is like when I was comparing it to uh, fifth edition, I looked through the monster manual and found the, the monsters about the appropriate CR, and all of them converted really super fast. It was mm-hmm. surprisingly mm-hmm. easy. It really. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I've never converted a fourth edition something to fifth edition before. Now, are you going through like the entire thing and converting it ahead of time, yeah. or? Yeah, it's interesting that because it's it's easier. The that's one a, that's a lot of work. catch is the beholder, <laughs> which is like yeah, twice the level it should older. be. Right. So uh, you could you could replace it with a uh, beefed up uh, spectator. Depending on what level they are. Yeah, I'm thinking eight. So. Yeah, so if they're eight, that, that spec- maybe a couple of spectators. <laughs> right, because spectators, are, I think, are pretty low. They're like CR4. Yeah, they're, they're, it's a little too wimpy for it. Yeah. So yeah it's but what's the CR really, of the beholder now? It's, I think it's 10. Yeah, it's, it's like 13. I no, yeah, I think you're right. It's 13. I was going to say, if it was, if it was 10, it's, then they well, could be Well, it's a badass 13, though. Yeah. <laughs> right, like you know, the the vampire is also CR thirteen, and it's nothing like the beholder. The beholder right. is lethal, and which I think is cool. But um, yeah, that beholder is gonna tear through them. So, but. so one, uh, how many pay, how many uh, PCs? I have four. 
Yeah, it's going to be really rough. I mean, the only thing you could possibly do is still have it there, but make sure they kind of know it's there and then, you know, give them some way to sort of, you know, get the upper hand against it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Knocking down its hit points is also probably a must. Yeah, you can always do that. Um, But it's also kind of nice to, like, figure out, like, you know, do they see it ahead of time, or, or you know, do does you know, do the uh, does the smarmy group run in there and then they come running out? Go, oh my god, don't go in there! <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. This yeah, is also Beholder, a Beholder is badass in particular because none of its eye rays are an attack roll. Every one of them is a saving throw, and it can specifically pick, oh. you know, s- rays that are effective against people's crappy saves. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's just you know, I only I think I've only run it once that I know of, that I can remember, and it just, it was killing people. Yeah, see, and a lot of times in those situations where I know I've got them just a little bit outclassed, maybe not a lot outclassed, then yeah. then I, I don't pick the eye rays. I just roll randomly, and those are yeah. the eye rays, you know? Unless yeah. it just completely doesn't make sense at all, then just, I roll yeah, something there's, You know, there's part of me that just feels like a beholder should be a badass, though, right? Like, oh, sure. I, I'm, I'm I, you know, I mean, ever, uh, you know, to each their own. I, I would always feel like if... if a play, if a group of players is going to fight a beholder, they should fight an actual beholder and beat it, or they shouldn't see it. <laughs> you know? yeah. like, they should. On the, on the other hand, I had a group of level nines that beat Orcus, so who am I to talk? That's right. What, <laughs> the, what are you talking about, Orcus? Are you kidding? I don't think Orcus is as badass as a beholder, though. Although he's, <laughs> he does, he has power, a lot of power word kills, so there is that. Depends if he has his wand or not. <laughs> oh, yeah. I heard a bunch of jackasses that were talking about disarming Orcus. And I'm like, man, I would just – you would immediately die. Like, <laughs> if, you, if you're trying to disarm Orcus, you, 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 you eat a power word kill. Well, that, that, that's kind of the story at the end of Out of the Abyss, right? Is that, is that what – I mean, that's there's a battle royale between all the demon lords in the middle right. of wherever they summon them, and Orcus yeah. goes out uh, relatively early, and there's like mechanics there where he goes out, but the wand stays, so a party member can like go grab it and use it against <laughs> oh Demogorgon. You know, <laughs> that's crazy. Uh-huh. Yeah, I never even got to that part. <laughs> you didn't even I read it? I never even read that far. Yeah, oh. I'm, I'm reading the latest Salvatore book right now. Or I just yeah, finished, I, am too. I, I just finished it and. Uh, don't, it's don't. it's got a completely different continuity, so now I don't know what can, what's canon anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm really enjoying that book. I'm listening. You're to reading. It. You're reading Maestro right now. Yeah, yeah. We, we have to talk. Yeah, I'm up to date. Yeah. Sweet. I haven't finished it though. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. Yeah, we, <laughs> that's we've, okay. We've distracted from your. Let me. I'll your, tell you what. Let me go grab. I have. I'm literally looking at a copy of it right now. Let me go grab it and see what I can remember. The other thing is, this is um, I still have multiple weeks. I've only updated the Avenger, and I haven't thought about how I'm going to start things off. Mm-hmm. So I figure when I actually start, I'm going to actually do a, a one-off encounter. That's where they're going to find that first card. Right, right, right. I were have you, no idea what that is yet, but I know Are you going to set it in the Nintir Vale as originally designed, or stick it in a different setting? I'm sticking it in uh, my own home setting, uh-huh. which uh, kind of fits, which is it's pretty much just the, the Winter Haven and the Abbey. Right, right. I mean, you don't need to go much bigger than that unless they decide they yeah. need to go shopping or something. Although there are some hooks built into that adventure, if I remember. Yeah, there's, it ties into the, the Dungeon Master's Kit, which is one of the, the products I don't have. All right. It's like edition. So As Dungeon I recall, though, there were like NPCs with specific goals and, and different like background connections that you could make um, from different cities. Or, or maybe that's just what I did. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I, yeah, I remember them having specific like 
connections to Winter Haven and then specific connections to other cities, you know, that led them to to taking a vested interest in this sort of thing. Or somebody was, you know, a distant relative of somebody who was part of this order and, you know, back in the day and whatever. Um, so I, I think if it's not in the the actual adventure, I, I, I at least did that just to make the connection of the hook easier. Um, I like I like doing some background stuff before we start playing anyway. Um, and I... I, I recall that being fairly helpful in terms of the hook. Now, once they got in, I don't know that it came up much, but that was a thing, too. Yes, grabbing my copy. Yeah, it looks like there's uh, the starter set and possibly the monster vaults or the DMs get mm-hmm. one of those. It's, it's, what, did, what did they have that you needed? Just the, the various NPCs are talking about how they, mm-hmm. they can be used as a hook to get them in and their connections from... Ah, uh, right. Yeah, other other adventures that can be run before, prior to Gart Madness. Oh yeah, yeah. And it was right. It was the ones that came with the the DM kit because they had a bunch of adventures in there. I think. Cross mm. the Just and some others. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and see, American. I think I think I didn't run those adventures, but I just sort of made like made the you know those NPCs are out there and they exist, and you've got this connection to them anyway. So I I sort of used the hooks without running the adventures. Yeah, these will. I'm um, not running it with the. These will be NPC. Well, I can't tell. These will be run with player characters created for this particular adventure. So I can definitely see that with their adventure about their character backgrounds. Have right. to fill out a questionnaire. How do you know this NPC? This NPC saved your life. Describe how. Yeah, I did a lot of that with my current campaign, and it included like setting building stuff because uh, you know I had a map and basically said, okay, where do we start? Okay, what's there? You know, so I had all these questions for him that wasn't it wasn't just getting at back. It was a little bit of getting at their background, but it was also getting at background as to the actual world and, and building that, which I largely took inspiration from what Will Wheaton did in Titan's Grave in doing some some things like that. Yeah, that was it's good advice. Okay, Titan's Grave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's always good. That's good inspiration. Like it inspired this entire campaign that I'm running. Uh, that and just reading through a bunch of adventures and like, I want to run them all. Okay, they're all happening at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. I'll have to try that sometime. Yeah. What would Will Wheaton do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm looking over the cards, um, the card effects. And uh, the, the, the card effects, once they're used, can almost be used directly mm. uh, without too much craziness. You know, people, if it's a villain, you know, they get a plus one bonus to you know, attacks and they do D6 extra damage. You know, it's all pretty straightforward stuff that I think would convert almost directly. Yeah, and it could just be, you know, instead of being in the zone of the card, it could be whoever's holding the card just gets that, that bonus or whatever. So Yeah, or anybody that's adjacent to them. Yeah, which again, you can do in Theater of the Mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forgot this adventure was a lot of fun. I, yeah, yes. I had a lot of tragic. I think it was like, if I recall, the, um, yeah, the old knight. I, always, I already forgot his name, even though you just mentioned it. <laughs> Oakley. Oakley, that you know, I remember he's kind of a tragic figure, right? Like the whole thing is that the he's one of the last knights that's still trying to protect this monastery. Yeah, the fallen which, monastery, last member of the order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I believe I took a, I stole a storyline from you, Mike, because you gave me this advice when we talked about it when I ran it. Was that he's actually one of the knights from back then, and now he's like he can't he lives forever. He's an immortal, and he can't die until he can end the curse. Right? Yeah. Right. 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 So I, but he's I, still I, kind I, of. He's still kind of, you know, yeah. not, at, not at his prime. Yeah, I really liked that, that you did that. Um, so I stole, I ripped the whole thing off and did the whole exact same I thing think, in my I campaign. I think that turned out to be like one of those moments in the game that just sort of happened. 
Yeah. <laughs> like I just all of a sudden right at the moment it turned out he wasn't you know, he wasn't an ancestor. He is the same one. Right. I might have to steal and, that again. So. Yeah, it went really yeah, well for me. It's, it's kind of fun. And but he was just kind of this, you know, he wasn't really like he he tried, right? He he couldn't do it on his own. Well, and it also gave an opportunity he to would always to prov- try. And it yeah. it gave him an opportunity to provide some exposition like there's a, like there's like a haunted chapel or something. Uh, yeah. At one point, and and some th- tragic thing, but you get all this backstory about what happened, but there's not a really good way to like tell them what happened. But yeah, so but I, but Oakley, yeah. he was there. He remembers what happened. Let me tell you the story. Right. So right, right. Um, the other one is I I think I used a lot of flash fiction that I wrote in email between sessions that told the p- players what was going on mm-hmm. in other parts, mm-hmm. which is always kind of fun because it sort of bends the player's mind. Like they now know things that their characters don't know. You know, and like, what can we do with that? You know, mm-hmm. do they metagame it? Do they not? You know, it's kind yeah, of a the catch fun with point. that is always getting your players to read that. Uh, well, if they don't, they don't. Right. Like some of them, some of them will read <laughs> well, it and then they get a little bit more information. If they don't, that's and you know, th- his idea for flash fiction turned into my newsletter where every session I had a newsletter. Yeah. I remember uh, that. Th- that, that here? Is that this adventure? Uh, it didn't start with this adventure. It started with Return to the Temple, Temple of Elemental Evil right. that came out of this. Yeah. Uh, so it was right after this adventure. That and, was so great. It was and, like. It, well, and then it followed them. Like, then they went on to the next campaign, and it was a completely different... Like, they, the next campaign was Eberron. And the exact same guy was there writing newsletters about them again. Like, uh, you know? And this, it was like this... this, this it was this, this sort of meta mystery of who the heck is this guy, and why can't we ever catch him and figure out where he is, right? But they first met him in Hamlet. Like, he was there. He was a known person in Hamlet. And yet, somehow, he's constantly following them around from setting to setting. So are you using them again in the, the current campaign? I really wish I was. Uh, it's, but being a doc student now, it's just an issue of time to, <laughs> to sit down for two hours. I, know, it was, yeah, like, I think I saw one. Or maybe I, I tried to do it. I'm like, this just takes too much time. Well, <laughs> like, trying to write. You know. the, front page, the front page is easy because it's not even like a full article. It's just a blurb. Yeah. It's a headline. You, and could, a blurb you could do the picture. Fox News style, like adventurers, murderers. Yeah, no, I, like did, the, I did all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah, Quest absolutely. Mark at the end. You could set that up as a novel where they're he's written a novel of their adventures. Yeah, right. and all you have to do is the back cover. Yeah, but, but if I did that, then if I it's, yeah, because I know I would do that, and it would be little blurbs on the front, and then mm-hmm. on the back, I'd have like a, a session summary of sort of what happened in the last session. Uh, yeah. And they would usually flip it over and look at the artwork that I stuck on the back, and and I think skim it, maybe you know, probably not read it at all, right? That's but better. but when they showed up at the session, like. I would just have you know two or three of these newsletters that I'd printed off just sitting out on the on the table, and so while they were waiting for everybody else to show up, they they would browse through it and read it. Yeah, it worked pretty well. Yeah, I always kept my flash fiction really short, and and again, some people would read it and some didn't, but it, it's always the people that did it got a lot out of it. Well, we are over an hour, David. Unless you got anything else, we're gonna we're gonna put a bow on this. I'm I'm good. Thank you for all helping. All right, cool. Well, I look forward to uh, seeing how it goes, and if uh, if we ever need a, a backup DM for behind the DM screen, we might have to have you come back and let us know how it's going. I'd love to. Cool. All right. Yeah. Well, in that case, Mike, any last things you want to say? I'm good. All right. Then I think we're done. We're gonna call it a good night, and everybody, get out there, roll some dice, and have some fun. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.